Welcome to the Dulas Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Excited to be continuing this little mini series you guys are in right now, which is called Drip. And speaking of drip, I know most of you guys are getting ready to start school next week. And like it's been said many, many times, so I'm not going to say it too many times, but it's going to look a little different for you guys, right? Like it's, this, this school year is going to be different than any other school year in all history, right? Not just for like people you know, but for anybody who's ever lived, they're not going to have had a school year like this. So it's going to be a little different, but I think you guys can relate to me from years past that when I say the first day of school is a big deal, right? There's a lot of things that happen on the first day of school. For one, you find out like if you can even wake up early enough to catch the bus to go to school, right? That's something that happens. You, uh, you get to go to your classes for the first time and start to get an impression of all right, is this class going to be difficult? Is it going to be easy? Like, can I kind of sleep through this class a little bit? Or do I really need to pay attention? Uh, you get to see who exactly is in your class, right? You get to see if you got your homies in there or if you're like the only person that you even consider cool in that class. You get to see if there's a cute guy or girl in that class that maybe you want to try to sit next to so they can get to know you a little better. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on the first day of school, but one of the biggest things that goes on on the first day of school is picking out the outfit you're going to wear right? The outfit that you wear on the first day of school is different than any other outfit. And now I I know some of you guys and I can see some of you guys, you're like, uh, well, I really, I really don't care about that stuff. Like that's not a thing I do. I'm, I'm never too conscious about what, what I pick to wear. I'm, I'm somebody who just walks into my closet, grabs my clothes and just puts on, I don't even care if it matches. And see on the first day of school, I get that because I was that way a little bit. But on the first day of school, everybody is just a little more conscious of what they're wearing. And the reason that is, is because the outfit that you choose on the first day of school is more than just an outfit. It, it says it's you trying to communicate. It's you trying to say something about who you are, who you're going to be this school year, right? So like if you show up in the newest Jordans or Yeezys or whatever the cool shoes are, I'm not really in the shoe game or anything, but you show up with that stuff, the hypebeat stuff, you want people to know, hey, this is the guy that can dress. Like if I want to see somebody who, who can dress real nice, that's the guy I'm going to look at. Or maybe you're someone who's like, oh, I'm just going to throw on a tall tee, uh, some sweatpants or some athletic shorts. I'm going to wear some Nike socks and some slides. Like what you're saying is you're like, man, I'm the chill one. Like I just kind of go with the flow. I'm not too concerned about much. Like I'm not worried about being places on time. Like I'm just chill. Or maybe you're the person who wears a jersey to the first day of school. And you're trying to say, hey, I'm the sports guy. I'm the athlete. Like, that's what I'm about. You want to talk about sports, come and talk to me. And that's, you know, that was the category that I fell into. I often wore a soccer jersey on the very first day of school because I wanted people to know that, hey, if you like soccer, come talk to me. Like, like we got that in common. We, we can connect and uh, we're going to be all Good. And see, the outfit you pick on the first day of school is so much more than just a regular outfit. 
And see, last week, Cole started this series off and he talked about how we have a new life in Christ, how we're supposed to put off our old life and put on this new life. And it literally says in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 24, it says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And see, Cole likened this to us changing, changing the fit we have on and putting on a brand new fit, changing from our old self to our new self in Christ. And you see this new fit, this new life is so much more than, than like just a fit. It's so much more than just a change of clothes, if you will. This new self says, says so much about who you are. And not only that, but it says so much about who, who God is. It says so much about the transformative power that God has in your life. And see, in the last part of Ephesians 4, Paul illustrates what this new life is supposed to look like, right? He tells us before that, hey, you need to put off this old life and wear this new life. But he goes on at the end of Ephesians 4 and saying, hey, Here's exactly what this new life looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at five areas where if we're putting on this new life, we're going to see a transformation. And that first area is in us speaking the truth. So we are in Ephesians chapter four, and we're going to be starting in verse 25. And it says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Now here, this command is kind of simple. He's saying, hey, don't lie, right? Like, speak the truth. Don't, don't tell lies anymore. And now this is such an immediate and stark contrast be be between our old self, who was one that walked in sin, one who walked with Satan, who is called the, the father of lies, to now walking and standing with God who does not lie, who is a God of truth. And see, it's not enough just for us not to lie, right? We have to speak truth, right? We put off the old self of telling lies, but now we have to be someone who speaks truth and the whole truth, right? Like we can't just be somebody who kind of leaves out a little bit of truth, but tells a little bit of truth because a half lie is also, or a half truth is also a half lie. See, for Christians, when, when, when we do that, when, when we don't tell the truth, it harms not only us, but the body as a whole. See, Paul says, he gives us the motivation for speaking truth, which is we are members of one another. And to use that same language that Paul uses earlier in Ephesians 4, we are all members of one body. So it affects the body, it affects the community, it affects our relationships. For us as Christians, speaking the truth isn't a choice, it is a necessity. And that's just because simply lying is destructive, not just for ourselves, but for our community as a whole. Like, have you ever heard someone say, hey man, last night my mom asked me where I had been and I lied to her and man, our relationship's going great. My mom loves me even more now since I lied to her. Or somebody comes up and they're like, man, I've been telling my girlfriend lies for two months now. And man, our relationship has never been better. I think we're going to get married. Like our relationship is just growing. No, lying doesn't do that. Lying only destroys relationships. 
And the thing about lying too is often it is accompanied with other sins. Often it's not just one lie. Often you're lying to try to get away from the punishment that you may receive for a certain wrongdoing you did, a certain sin that you committed. And not only is it, are they accompanied by other sins, but often it's not just one lie, but it's multiple. You tell one little lie and you, you, you think that's going to be it, but then all of a sudden you have to tell another and another and another and another. And pretty soon you're just overwhelmed with these lies that you've had to tell to try to make that first lie you told the truth. And now you're just stressed out. You're, you're completely shackled by these lies. And see, the only place where we can be free, the only place that we can be free from being overwhelmed is in the truth. See, Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, we as Christians can not live in lies because this will do nothing to build up our community, nothing to build up our church, nothing to build up our relationships with others. So we have to live in the truth. We must speak in the truth because the truth is what's going to build these things. Now, Paul goes on, and the next area that Paul tackles is anger. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I know what you're thinking. You heard those very two, two first words in that verse where it says, be angry. And you're kind of like, wait a minute. Is, is Paul telling us to be angry? Is he giving us a command to be angry? Is Paul telling us as new, as Christians who are living a brand new life, now we're supposed to get angry? Okay, I can get behind that, right? I, I love to be angry. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul isn't commanding us to be angry. Now, as Christians, there are certain things that we should be angry about, right? We should be angry that racism is still around. We should be angry that injustice still happens in the world. We should be angry that abuse happens and all sorts of things like this. But the primary intent of this verse is not to promote anger, but to prevent it. See, human anger is always destructive. James 1.20 tells us, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Us as humans, we just can't handle our anger. Whether it's for a good reason or a bad reason, we can't handle it. So rather, when we have anger, we should, we should hand it over to God because God can handle it. God can handle the anger while we can not. See, the focus on the, of this verse is the prevention of sin. See, it tells us how we are to get rid of our sin as soon as, soon as we can. Don't let it fester because when we, when we let our anger fester, we allow us, ourselves to be in this, in this moment of having high emotions where it is just so much easier to make a rash decision that you're going to regret later. And I'm sure we can all relate in that. You've been angry, you've been mad, and then you made a decision that pretty much immediately after you made it, you regretted it. You know, the other day I was angry. And you might laugh at me about this, but the other day, uh, I like playing video games. So I was playing one of my favorite video games, which is Super Smash Bros. Okay? Awesome game. It's great. It's rated E for everyone, so all of you guys can go get it. Uh, but 
I love Super Smash Bros. And so like, I like to think I'm pretty all right at it. And so I'm trying to get better. So I'm, I'm fighting people online, right? So I choose my character, they choose theirs. And I get into this game and it begins and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, like I'm, I'm getting focused, I'm ready to play, I'm ready to win. And this guy is, just starts doing this one attack, right? His character has this little laser beam gun and he's just standing there on the other side of the stage just going, pew, pew, pew. And I'm like, okay, th this is a little weird, right? Now, I wasn't too worried because that attack doesn't do much damage. So I'm like, whatever, who cares? I'll just go in there and wreck him. But I could not get close to him because he was just spamming this one attack right? This sounds silly, but I was getting so angry. And every time I got near him, what did he do? He stopped shooting, ran to the other side of the stage, turned around, pew, pew, pew. And man, I'm getting so angry. I have my Nintendo Switch in my hands and I'm ready to just like snap it because I'm vividly angry about it because it's I should be winning, right? Like I should not be losing to this guy. I end up losing and man, I was so ready in that moment to snap that switch, just to throw it in the trash. I was done with that game. I never wanted to play it again, and I was angry. And see, if I would have made a rash decision in my anger, I wouldn't have a Nintendo Switch, and I would be looking really sad right now. But thankfully, I didn't make a rash decision because the decisions we make when we are angry are often the wrong ones. And see, Paul puts an emphasis on this, that when we are angry, we cannot let the sun go down on that anger. We need to rid ourselves of that anger quickly. Because if we, if we stay angry, we, we allow the devil to have opportunities to tempt us to sin. See, Satan is described to prowl around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, the devil's already working hard enough to try to steer us on the wrong path without us, you know, lobbing up an assist to him, without us opening up the door and saying, hey, I'm angry, my emotions are high, come tempt me, I'll do something bad. The devil's already working hard enough, so we need to make sure that we don't make it any easier. We need to get rid of our anger as soon as we can. And see, that's an issue with all of us today. See, so often I see that two friends or even just two acquaintances, you know, they get mad at each other and whatever the reason is, it, it could be something silly like, hey, we were playing video games and they beat me and I'm a sore loser, so now I'm mad at them. Or something like, hey, you know, this, this dude was talking to my girl and like, I don't like that. And whatever it is, people get angry at each other. And rather than dealing with that anger, they just separate themselves. They just block each other on Twitter, block each other on Instagram. They, they delete their number from their phone and they don't talk about it. And they just allow that anger to fester. And see, when we allow that anger to fester, it becomes a breeding ground for sin. So see, we gotta deal with that anger. If someone makes you angry, don't block them and just push them to the side and allow you, that anger to just grow in your heart. Go and deal with it so now, the, so now you don't open this door for the devil to come and tempt you. So that's what Paul talks about there. Paul goes on to talk about this next area, and he's talking about serving others. We go on in verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, the fact of the matter is all of us have selfish desires. And that's where this temptation to steal, to become a thief comes from. It says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about satisfying myself than I am about what damage it might cause to somebody else. But this verse shakes up that idea, right? Paul tells us that if, if we are going to put on this new life, if we are going to be transformed by Christ, then we must, stop, we must not only stop stealing, but we must do honest work so that we may be able to help others. See, we must shift our focus from our, our own desires to other people's needs. And see, we see this in the life of Jesus, right? We, we see it all throughout the, the Gospels. We see it all throughout Jesus' ministry. Like if Jesus was, if Jesus' concern was on himself, was on his own selfishness, if he even had that, right? Like if, if Jesus was only focused on himself, then the stories in the Gospels would be a lot different, right? Jesus would have never gone to that cross if he was only con concerned about himself because Jesus didn't need the cross to be saved, right? He didn't sin. But see, that wasn't how Jesus lived. Jesus was focused on our needs. And most importantly, he was focused on our biggest need, which was our need for a savior. Because all of us have sin. All of us has sin that separates us from God. But see, God wanted that relationship with us. So Jesus, thinking about us, not thinking about himself, died on the cross so that we could have that relationship. So see, when we, when we live this transformed life, we're not thinking of our own selfishness. We're becoming selflessness and we're thinking about others and meeting the needs of others. The next area that Paul goes on to discuss that's going to be transformed when you have this new life in Christ is our speech. He goes on in verse 29, says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve, grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is a big one, guys, because in today's world, we, we, we like to downplay the power that our words have, right? We, we like to say this nice little uh, sentence as kids that sticks and stones can break my bones, but Words will never hurt me, right? And like, that sounds nice. That sounds good and dandy and all of that sort of stuff. But the truth is, it's not true. Words can and words do cause harm. In this verse, Paul, Paul says that only let things come out of your mouth that are going to build others up. So while it is true that, hey, yeah, words do have the power to harm people, to destroy people, at the same time, our words have the power to support and build up others. And here's just a little thing to think about. Like when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created the universe, how did he do it? He spoke, right? It was power in these words that God spoke that he created every single thing. So it's kind of foolish for us to think that words have no, no power. There is so much power in what, we, in what we say. So that means we should use our words to do good things, to build other people up. 
When I think about the power that words have to encourage and just to build people up, it reminds me of this story of when I was in college. Now, when I was in college, I played soccer, okay? Now, don't be too impressed, like, oh, he played soccer in college. Like, it wasn't for any big school. So you don't have to be impressed by that. Uh, but I played soccer, and uh, we, we come up to the final tournament of the year, and it's the regional tournament. And you really want to win the regional tournament because if you win the regional tournament, then you get to go to the national tournament. And the national tournament is all the way in Florida. And the college I went to is in Missouri. So during this time, we're, we're freezing our butts off. Like we're having to wear all of these coats, all these different things. But hey, if we win, we get to go to Florida where now we're going to be chilling on the beach for a week and just hanging out and having fun. So we really want to win the regional tournament. So we go in, we play, right? We, we get to the final. And the team we're playing in the final is a team that's already beat us earlier this season. And they didn't just beat us like 1-0. It was like 5-0 and like don't want to talk about that one. So we're, we're a little bummed out, but we're like, you know, this is just one game. They beat us last time, but, but we, we could win, right? We, we've got this belief in ourselves and we play the first half and it's going good. It's a close game. We're having some chances. We're not scoring. They're having some chances. They're not scoring. And we're about to go in halftime at 0-0. We're encouraged. We're pumped. We really think we got a chance to win this game. And then 30 seconds before halftime, they score on us. And there's no worse time to get scored on in soccer than right before the half. Because while before we would have went in halftime, like being pumped, being ready for the second half, now we're not as pumped about it. Now we're not as ready. And see, our coach recognizes this. He can kind of see us sitting there with our heads down, feeling sorry for ourselves. And he, he steps up, and our coach wasn't one for speeches. And he's like, hey, I got a word for you guys. He says, you know, there was once this farmer, and this farmer's walking around on his land one day, and he comes, about, comes across this hole. See, he had been digging this deep hole to put in a well in his land. And he looks down in this hole that he had dug. And one of his donkeys was at the bottom of the hole. And he has no way to get this donkey out. The donkey can't jump out. So the donkey's just as good as dead. And so the farmer says, you know what? I might as well just bury him in there. Like he's already down there. Let me just bury him. So he grabs a shovel, picks up some dirt, throws it down in the hole to start burying the donkey. All the dirt lands on the donkey's back. And so what does the donkey do? He shakes it off and he steps up. Farmer does it again, gets the dirt, throws it in the hole. Donkey shakes it off and he steps up. Does it again, dirt in the hole, donkey shakes it off, he steps up. And he keeps doing this. And pretty soon, what does the donkey do? He shakes that dirt off and he steps right up out of the hole. Now you guys, you guys are sitting here one goal down. You've got some dirt on your back. You can sit here and feel sorry for yourself or you can shake that dirt off and step right up out of this hole, step up to the occasion and win this game. And like, that's a silly story, but we were so hyped. Like I was ready to run through a wall. Like I was like, man, I'm about to go score eight goals right now. I don't even care. And that's, well, I didn't score eight goals, but we went out and we won the game. And it was all because of these few words, this little story that my coach had told, right? He didn't give us some secret, secret formula to win in. He didn't like give us these special boots that just like put extra curve on the bar or nothing. All he did was spoke these few words and it hyped us up. It got us ready. It built us up. 
And see, we can do the same thing with our words. We can use our words to build other people up, build the body of Christ, encourage our friends, and not destroy them. See, Paul calls us as believers to stop these things of our old life. Because when we continue to do these things, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it causes us to cause harm to our fellow man. So whether, whether we do this through our words, our lies, our selfishness, or our anger, or any number of things, we need to be transformed from these things. We need to change these things, put on this new life, and live this new life in order to build others up. And Paul gives us one final area for us needing a transformation, and that is in our ability to forgive. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, here Paul lists some more sinful behaviors. And he sums all of them up at the end by saying to put away all malice, which malice is just intentions to do evil, right? So that kind of, any sin falls into that category, an intention to do evil. And he says to put those things away, get rid of those things. Don't let those things be part of your life anymore. And see, in order to do this, it requires action from us. God can encourage us. God can give us word in his scripture for us to put these things away, but we have to take that action upon ourselves and put those things away. And we must turn these intentions of evil to intentions of good, which Paul gives us is to be kind, to be tenderhearted, and to forgive. See, our world today has this skewed uh, image of forgiveness. They see forgiveness as weakness, right? If our world today says, hey, if somebody does something bad to you, if somebody wronged you, you deserve vengeance. You need to go get them back. You need to repay what they did to you. And so it says, if, if you don't do that, if you just sit back and say, oh no, it's okay, I, I forgive you, that's weak. But see, this couldn't be further from the truth. Fighting sin with sin is easy. That's the easy way out. That's the easy thing to do. And the thing about that is ultimately all that does is cause more sin. As Christians, we're called to break from that cycle, right? We're not supposed to cause more sin, but we're supposed to break away from that and provide a solution, provide a way away from sin. And we do that by extending forgiveness. And that takes strength, that takes courage in order for us to do so. See, it's not the weak who forgive, rather it's the weak who don't. And see, our motivation for this willingness to forgive is Jesus, is God. Because Jesus, through Jesus, through what Jesus did on the cross, we've been forgiven. As Christians, we should be the ones in the world who are most willing to forgive because we understand what we've been forgiving, forgiven of. See, we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been forgiven of that debt that we owe to God. But see, too often we, we're, we're willing to take that forgiveness from God, but not extend that forgiveness to others. Too often we're like the unforgiving servant from Matthew 18. 
See, in this chapter, Jesus, Jesus uh, he, he gives this parable of a servant who he owes a debt to his master. And this debt that he owes is 10,000 talents. Now, this number, 10,000 talents, is, it's, it's just this massive number. It's not even necessarily like a real number, a, a real thing for you to comprehend how much it is. It'd be similar to me saying like, hey, you owe me a million bajillion dollars, right? Like that's not a real number, but it gets the point across that, hey, uh, I owe you a bunch of money that I could never pay off. And see, that's the case. This, this servant owes his master a debt so massive that there's no way in a thousand lifetimes that he would be able to pay this debt. But what does the master do? The master forgives him of the debt. He says, hey, it's okay. You don't owe me this debt anymore. And the servant is, he's pretty happy about that, right? Like if you just got forgiven of some debt that you couldn't pay off, you would be pretty excited. And so he is, but this servant also turns right around and goes to a fellow servant, somebody else, who just owes him a hundred denarii, which sure is quite a bit of money, but nothing compared to the debt that he was just forgiven of. And he won't forgive this other servant of that debt. Even though he's been forgiven of so much more, he was unwilling to forgive. And see the debt that God has forgiven us of was a debt that we couldn't pay, right? We, we would not be able to, to pay that debt and then be all good. But Jesus paid that debt. So we are all good. We've received that forgiveness. That debt that we owe to God is so much greater than any debt that anyone else may owe to us. We are part of God's family and we have received forgiveness. So we need to, we need to be someone. We need to do something that, that forgives other people. Forgiveness should be something that defines us as Christians. See, when we do more than just put on this new fit, when we do more than just say, hey, I'm living this new life of Christ, but actually live it and we're actually transformed by Christ, then we have no other way but to live as Jesus lived and emulate his character. And that's true transformation when we emulate Jesus' character. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and tag us at Do Loss Youth. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon.